you know, I think that going back to like kind of blocking out all of that noise, they're not the only ones that can change the world. I'm going to change the world. Sophie, you're changing the world. Your listeners are changing the world just by the fact that you're here listening to how did somebody else do it? What did they, what, and you're trying to take something away from somebody else and learn from somebody else. That's how you change yourself. That's how you change the world. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who is constantly on a mission to uncover the light that exists within all of us. On this podcast, I talk to people from all walks of life who have uncovered their light and actively cultivate it in their everyday, whether it be through career, relationships, spirituality, or a combination of the three. My hope is that these conversations help us start uncovering our own light that already exists within us, which is what I like to call our active ingredient so that we can tap into it, bring it to the forefront and live the lives that we were intended to. Hey guys, Uh, before I get into what this week's episode is about, I just wanted to first thank you all so much for listening to last week's solo episode on my mental health journey. Um, I can't tell you how grateful I am to everyone that listened and reached out to tell me their own uh, journeys with mental health. And, you know, it's a topic that's really important to me. And I just wanted to, before we get into what this episode is all about, just take a moment to thank you all and just to remember to normalize this conversation. It's, you know, the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but we have brains all year round. So it's a reminder for sure to have this month to, you know, have more conversations around it. But We always have mental health to take into consideration. And I just wanted to thank you guys all so much for listening, for caring and for reaching out for those who did and for those who didn't and just listen and hopefully impacted you. Thank you so much for listening. So I am so freaking excited for this week's episode. It is with Julie Jeffries, who is the creator of Not Your Mama's Veggies which is a nutrition course that I did with my boyfriend, McGuire, just to learn more about overall nutrition, how to regulate my blood sugar, and learn more about what I was putting in my body. And I always say that this is literally the best gift I was ever given. It was given to me by McGuire, my boyfriend's mom, and it was a gift for the two of us. And at first I did not know what to expect, to be completely honest. Like I I thought that it was like uh, teaching us how to like cook plant-based things, which like she definitely does but I didn't expect to learn as much as I did about every uh, facet of nutrition and like how it really affects every single part of our systems. Um, So it was really eye-opening. I really recommend it. If you're ever looking for a gift to give someone um, that is into health and wellness, I really, really recommend it. Uh, Mogwari's sister is now doing it. I think my sister said she wanted to do it. So I, this is not sponsored by the way, like this was like fully, you know, we paid for this course, but I just, I really enjoyed my time learning from her. And there are so many things that I still implement. I I did this course a while ago, but um, I implement into my life every single day, including the oats. So for those of you who follow me on Instagram and you see that I post oats daily, like overnight oats, Julie is the one who gave me that recipe from the Not Your Mama's Veggie nutrition course. And she suggested that I eat that for breakfast to help regulate my blood sugar. And I really feel like it worked within the first week of working with her. That was like when we started working with her, she asked me and McGuire each what our biggest goals were from like learning and and doing this course. And for me personally, it was to regulate my blood sugar, which I felt was just all over the place. 
And uh, the overnight oats were everything of the sort. They taste incredible. One of, well, first of all, we started an oat revolution and there's like literally at least 70 people that I know that are doing the oats now. Um, one of my best friends, Pardo, is doing it. And she said that it feels like when you eat it, like you're eating a hug. And I was like, oh my God, that is so freaking true. It just feels like you're doing something so good for your body. And it, I'm telling you, if you guys want to try it, I'll, I'll post the recipe on the Active Ingredient Instagram, but um, if Julie lets me, but it really is just everything of the sort. And she's the one who taught it to me. Julie's story is a story about strength, resilience, advocating for yourself, and for always aiming to understand the root cause of what is actually going on. I feel like so many times we get a diagnosis or something's happening in our life and we see it at face value um, and don't really dig deeper as to the why it's happening, uh, which I'm a big, uh, I, I'm just like really big on that. I think that we should, t you know, always take a step back and try to understand why things are happening in the first place. And she is very much of that thought as well. After two life-changing diagnoses and doing a ton of research, Julie changed her diet to a whole food plant-based diet to see if that would help her cases. And essentially she healed and supported herself through the way that she ate. A whole food, for those of you who don't know, a whole food plant-based diet emphasizes whole minimally processed foods. It limits or avoids animal products and focuses on plants, including veggies, fruits, whole grains, legumes, seeds, and nuts. Um, so it's just a, a very like whole nutritious, like the way that earth intended type of way of eating. Um, and since healing herself through food as medicine, she organically began teaching others about how she was eating and developed a program, which is the Not Your Mama's Veggies program to teach people about nutrition in a very approachable way, always meeting her clients where they are on their journey. Cause we are all on a spectrum and she is very good about meeting people where they are and not expecting them to go. You know, if you do use the analogy of running a marathon, she doesn't expect someone who hasn't run in five years to go run the Boston Marathon. I really felt that working with her. So um, that's a little background on her. And then on this episode, we are getting into her whole career trajectory, the two diagnoses that changed her life and how she started learning about whole food plant-based eating, the importance of constantly learning and always staying curious throughout life, her advice for people looking to start a new career path at a later stage of life, which I really think this is a conversation we need to talk about way more and normalize it. Um, and of course, we get into overnight oats in detail and tips and tricks that we can all implement into our lives immediately. I love Julie. I love this episode. I hope you guys learned something. And with that, welcome Julie to the show. First of all, thank you so much for coming in studio in Miami. I'm so excited to finally meet you in person. So thank you for being here. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. I'm so <laughs> excited. It's so nice to meet you too, because, you know, I mean, we could put like a screen between us here if we, if we like feel intimidated, you know, and then it would be like our coaching sessions online. <laughs> I know. Okay. So I want to give a little context on how Julie and I know each other. So McGuire's mom gave me for, well, it was Christmas, right? Yes. For Christmas, she gave me and McGuire, my boyfriend, for those of you who don't know, um, she gave us three sessions with Julie, who is a nutrition coach, to learn about plant-based meals. Well, I thought the present was, by the way, it was like a plant-based recipe guide or like I, the, I had no idea what it actually was, what the sessions were going to be. Um, but what they, what they were were actually super educational uh, conversations with Julie on different facets of our diets and how they all kind of impact our overall health 
And it, it to date is the best gift I've ever gotten. I literally, I've said that I've told you a million times, but I say it to everyone. I'm like, it is such an incredible gift because I work in the health and wellness space. I told you this, like I felt like before that I had a pretty strong understanding of what, you know, health and wellness meant, like what a proper diet should look like. And I clearly didn't like, I I really did it. And the first session that I did with Julie, your first thing that you said to us was you're not eating enough. And I was like, what, (laughs) what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? So long story short, Julie and I know each other because she was McGuire and I's nutrition coach for six sessions. It was the best six sessions ever. Like I felt so empowered and I just learned so much best gift ever. Thank you, Lisa, for that incredible gift. Yes. Thank you, Lisa, for introducing (laughs) us. Um, and also you guys, for those listening that follow me, she is the one who introduced me to overnight oats. I'm calling it the overnight oats revolution, but I'm telling you, you have literally no idea how many people are obsessed with the overnight oats. It is actually insane. It's insane. Yeah. And you asked me, what did I eat this morning to do the mic test? And of course I ate oats. <laughs> Honestly, same. That's what I did. Yeah. Also, mcguire has been doing them because I was like, I need a break of actually being the one to do it. You do it for me. And he crushes it. And he actually, he does it better than I do. So I'm like, why don't you take this project on for the rest of eternity? <laughs> um, but that's a little context on how we know each other. So we're going to get into everything, into the program, into your uh, food modalities, how you got into the space. But before we get into any of those things, I always kick off the podcast asking the guest what they were like as a kid that you remember. And if you feel like a lot of your childlike, like fun qualities are kind of injected in what you're doing on a day to day now. Um, well, what was I like when I was a kid? I was, um, I guess I was kind of intense, but I was a, a bit of a joker. I think, um, I like to play pranks on my friends. <laughs> um, and I don't think that, yeah, I don't do that very much anymore. <laughs> I mean, I have teenagers, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, Yeah. I, um, yeah, I love to learn when I was a kid. That's kind of been my lifelong thing is that I've always loved learning. I loved school. Um, I loved, I loved everything. You know, I was, I was really active. Um, I was always with my animals. I rode horses. I, I ran track. I played basketball. I, um, was with the volleyball team. I ran cross country. I, you know, I was always active and, um, I think that, yeah, that has definitely, that definitely set me up for, um, a lifelong love for, for being healthy and, um, and being where I am today. I mean, did I eat healthy back then? No, my favorite thing was Twinkies. I mean, for <laughs> God's sakes, they're probably still in my body. <laughs> probably those things have an expiration, like beyond like our life yeah, expectancy. Exactly. So. They probably changed like half of my genes that I'm trying to change back now with my good eating habits. <laughs> It's too but, funny. um, but yeah, no, yeah. What was I like as a kid? That that's pretty much it. I, um, I was kind of the one that I, I liked everybody, you know, I, I liked people and I liked trying new, th- new things and, um, getting out there and I wasn't shy. I don't think I'm shy. I don't know. Am mm-hmm. I shy? Sophie? No, 0%. <laughs> You're so funny and quirky and like, I love everything about you. <laughs> oh, that's <so> nice. <laughs> I mean it. Um, but I do think that those things are still like a lot of that, like active lifestyle, healthy, obviously that's definitely injected in what you're doing today. Yeah, very much so. I think so. So I'm curious with that background and loving health and wellness and that being a big part of your childhood and upbringing, um, how did you get into international business to start? Because you had a very different career path than you are doing now. And I know that a lot of 
life hurdles definitely set you up for what you're doing today. But I'm curious, like what first drew you to, to doing business in general? Like what was it that was like a gravitational force that brought you to that? Um, how long were you doing it for? Do you think that like learnings from that time in your life helped you and what you're doing now? Walk me through that. that yeah. Well, I think you're going to like this because it is, um, it does show like full circle Yeah. because, um, I actually undergrad, I was, um, political science, public, ma- uh, public management, and my focus was on healthcare and healthcare reform, healthcare policy. So I actually wrote my senior thesis about what was going on in the public forum with um, healthcare reform, which we haven't really advanced on. <laughs> what was it like? What was set the tone of what what you were fighting against at the time? Like, what was the biggest issue? Well, that that we needed affordable healthcare. It's, we're yeah. exactly in the same spot, and um, so you know, I'm not going to date myself. Sorry, so <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what was actually going on. Okay, you know how old I am. <laughs> Embrace um, it. I think that that's a beautiful part of your story. And I actually think it's like something we need to talk about more, but yeah. anyway. No. So yeah, I, um, I'm 50. I turned 50 this year and, um, I, people asked me actually, and I know I'm going, I'm veering off of your question. I'll get back to it. But people asked me if I was like nervous to turn 50 or if it was like a milestone. And I said, no, because you know, my forties were marked with all sorts of horrible events that, um, seemed horrible at the time, but led me to where I am. So backing up to where I was, how did I get here? Um, yeah, my, my undergrad was in public administration and public, um, public policy and focused on healthcare. And then, um, I actually worked in politics for a little bit, but I, I needed money. (laughs) So I went back to, (laughs) I love, I love the honesty. I went back to, I actually had my rosy colored glasses like ripped off my face in one of my political campaigns that I was working on and and smashed to the ground. So (laughs) I went back to, um, where I had interned and, um, uh, you know, where I had worked prior to getting a job Mm -hmm. in politics and I went back to business. So I worked for Ernst and Young actually in all sorts of capacities for them on the internal side and doing marketing stuff, doing all of these types of, back then we did all the um, shows and and videos and everything in-house. I helped Mm -hmm. with all that kind of stuff. I did print work. It was crazy, but um, eventually rolled into knowledge management and um, changing the way that people work. And I think that that is the next theme. So I went, you know, I started out with this healthcare and then I started moving into changing people's attitudes about the way that they do things. And what was the job title? Like, what, what is, what does that mean exactly in practice? Like, what are you doing on a day to day to change the way people Well, (laughs) again, you know, this is like prior to your time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the internet was just like starting up. So, um, we actually were developing a method to manage information within the company. So an intranet. And so that was like, you know, totally new. It was very radical and, um, we really had to sell people on it and, um, just literally get people talking and change what they were doing. And, um, so that was, that was pretty fascinating for me. And I loved that. I was very passionate about it and, you know, not because, I mean, obviously what we were doing, yes, but I, I think that opening people's eyes to a new way was always very, something that I've been very good at and mm-hmm. very, very passionate about. And, and so, you know, that's kind of where that led me. And then that kind of became my thing was helping people do something in a new way and getting people to feel comfortable with change and 
I thrive on change. So I love being in that environment and I'm not the one that like holds on to stuff, but you know, I just, I love helping people understand that, you know, it's, it's okay. You can change and you're still going to be you on the other side. You're just going to be a better version of you. And let's that is get such you through an that. important point, especially for this podcast. Cause I feel like identity plays such a role when it comes to career, especially in like the millennial age. Like we are so identified by what we do. And it's like, as you evolve as a person, your interests change, you have different milestones. Things happen in life that change the way that you perceive things. And I am someone that has, I'm not like the best at change. So like I, I am kind of the opposite. (laughs) I'm not someone that thrives in it. I could, I could embrace it. But I think that like that as a general theme is really important is that of course we're going to change and our our identities with work are going to have to change if we're changing and evolving as humans. Very much so. I mean, it's, it's just, it's inevitable. Yeah. The only thing that you can be certain about is that change is going to happen Yeah, and you either can roll with it or you can resist it. And no matter what side you choose, it's still going forward. Right. So, you know, I like to be the one to help even the people who are resistant to it to get through that. And I think that, you know, then with that, I, I, um, my career developed into an international role. I, um, I did my MBA at the University of Michigan, go blue. <laughs> and, and then um, I had an opportunity to go and, you know, live, live internationally. Um, and Where did experience. you live? I've lived actually, I've lived in Norway. I have lived twice in <sighs> South right. Africa. I um, have lived in England and all over the U.S. And I actually um, have worked all over the world. So, how yeah. Long, and then, of how course, long I, lived, were you in each I also of lived in, in Venezuela for almost 10 years as well. So, yeah, I've moved um, 26 or 27 times. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're like literally a master at change. How long were you in each of these locations for? Venezuela, you said 10 years, but. Yeah, that was the longest. That's actually before. Now I'm here in Miami and um, I've been here for 11 years and that's almost, it's pretty much the longest of anywhere that I've been. So the other, the other ones were, you know, between six, eight months to a year, a little bit over a year maybe. And, and then I would just get moved on to the next, the next opportunity, the next issue that had to be kind of managed. So, so at the time while you're going, you're doing this internationally, you're doing that, you're changing the infrastructure of Ernst & Young. uh, Well, actually that wasn't with Ernst & Young. I mean, I I did live actually, well, in, in South America, I worked for Ernst & Young, um, but I also worked for um, United Technologies, which they, um, they actually don't exist as United Technologies anymore, but people will know them as carrier air conditioner and Otis elevators and Pratt & Whitney jet engines and Sikorsky helicopters. So it seems like a really kind of old school environment, but it was actually like, it was actually really great training ground for me and what I like to do because, you know, they, they are pretty set in their ways of doing things. And then somebody like me gets in there and starts shaking things up and, you know, gets sent to do certain things and, and make it happen. And I don't know, I like that. I think it's fun. And then throw it into an international environment where I had to like literally reinvent myself constantly. Um, I just find, I don't know. I loved it. I loved every second okay, of my career. Okay. This question is a little bit off topic on the career trajectory, which we're going to get back to, but I just, I feel like it's a natural question after you just said that. What are your, after doing this like internationally and doing it for so many different companies and, and just different teams, like, and now that you're doing it for individuals, how do you approach changing the way someone thinks? Because to get the end result, you have to first 
change the way that they're actually thinking. So when it comes to, I feel like it's just a through line, like how do you do it from a business and personal lifestyle, health and wellness perspective? Like how do you first approach helping someone change their mindset, which I think is step one. Yeah. I think that it's a great question. Um, and I think that the key is that you have to meet somebody where they are, you know, and I think I told you this when we started working together, because if I were to tell you all of a sudden from today until tomorrow, your entire world is going to change and you're a person that's already resistant to change, you're going to freak out. So that's not going to work. And, you know, I think that one key component is that I can't ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And that's always been the way that I've lived my life. So, you know, if, if I want you to do something in a business setting, I have to have either tried it and been there and understand it, or I have to be willing to stand with you and walk you, you know, walk with you through it, not walk you through it. Because if I don't, if I haven't done it, I mean, it's a new experience for me too, but I have to be willing to put myself in there, in that person's shoes. And so that's kind of what I've always done. And then, you know, when it comes to changing somebody's health habits, you know, you have to understand the motivation behind and that's, and also in the business setting, you have to help them understand what's going on in the bigger picture, what's going on um, with the company, with the direction of the company, um, or what's going on with your body and with your, your health situation and why is that happening? And then, you know, once you explain all of those things um, to somebody, I think that they are more willing to open the, their, um, their thoughts to something that's uncomfortable for them yeah. because that's what it's about. It's, it's, you know, you're moving somebody into a very uncomfortable place out of their comfort zone and into a, a very scary, um, kind of unknown. gray area unknown. unknown. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> Literally like the biggest fear. Yeah. Incredible. So back to the career trajectory, you loved your career. Did you ever have a moment where you felt disconnected with that or you were like completely in alignment and you felt like you were on top of the world while doing that? You know, I've always, um, I worked in big companies and then I worked in some startups and again, you know, that gave me the, like putting me always in that unknown space and, and all of that. So I, maybe I didn't necessarily enjoy every single moment of the things that I had to do. But I try to, I try to look at the bigger picture of where, you know, of what I was doing and the opportunities that were being presented to me. So, you know, like I didn't have a lot of money and I wanted to travel the world. And so my jobs let me do that, you know, and that was amazing because, um, it gave me experiences that I might not have had otherwise. And those experiences now play back into what I'm doing today because I am learned, you know, I, I use different spices and I have different flavors and I, and I like, you know, to understand like kind of how culture and food come together and how that impacts somebody. And, you know, we talk a lot about that mm -hmm. in my sessions or, you know, depending on how important it is to the person that I'm working with, but sometimes it's a, a big component. And so I try to help them change old habits that, and, and use things in a different way. And I think that all of those, all of that experience has come from me living around the world and, you know, trying different things and talking to people and learning about people. And it also helps me to relate to people. I, um, totally. So, so what's like, what is the big learning from that? Because I feel like a lot of people are searching for the big why, like, what is my why on this earth? Like, what am I here to do at that time? Maybe, I mean, clearly you had no idea that this was where you were going to end up, but it is a hundred percent infused in what you're doing all the time. Like you're saying, like you involve 
you know, the different spices and the different cultures and all the different things that you had from travel. But at the time you had no idea. So what's like the, the takeaway for someone that's maybe, you know, there's an opportunity in front of them and that may not be their end all, or like that may not be like what they're going to end up doing in 20 years, but that is going to potentially maybe set them up for greater success down the road. Like you were aware that what you wanted to do was travel at the time. So is the takeaway, like be present with that, you know, the opportunity that's in front of you right now and don't think 20 steps ahead. Yeah. I think that, I mean, for me and everybody's different, right? So, but for me, it's always been about learning. And I, I actually had a very, if I had a thought about where I would be, it's not where I am right now. And, um, I think, where did you think you were going to be? Oh, well, if you go back to my, my Michigan application, I would have told you I would be running a fortune 500 <laughs> and having this perfect life with, you know, everything in order. Well, that's, you know, that's not the way that it happens. And, you know, life throws you curveballs, and you've got to be able to deal with it. And I think that, you know, the, the key takeaway is, yeah, be present, but you need to have goals, but I don't think necessarily that you have to be crushed if your life takes a different turn. I think that you have to, you know, embrace it and go forward. And also remember that, you know, I mean, how many people reach that pinnacle of if if that's what you want? If that's, you know? that's what it is, is. And if that's what you want and what you want changes. Exactly. That's what I was going to tell you. It if what you want changes with what happens in your life and, you know, your circumstances and, um, you know, my career got kind of not, I don't want to say derailed, but it, it did get derailed. I was living in Venezuela and, um, I was, I was finishing up a job, um, and I needed to find, we didn't want to leave the country yet because my husband's from Venezuela and I needed to find another job. And it turned out I was pregnant and I didn't realize it. Well, you know, their laws are very different than laws here. And mm -hmm. so they could like discriminate against me and not hire me because of that's just the way it works there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, that was really hard for me to, to take that because like you said in the beginning, I identified myself with what I was doing professionally and how, how good I was at that. And that, you know, people like asked me stuff and, and depended on me to help them with things. And, and they included me. And then all of a sudden I couldn't get a job because I was pregnant and where I was living. And that was like so foreign to me, you know, and, um, like, no pun intended, but <laughs> I mean, no, it really too, was, too. it was so difficult for me to go from going a thousand miles an hour and, you know, just being, having this international life and being all over the place all the time. And, you know, this amazing trajectory that I was on to, oh, now I'm pregnant and at home. And so, you know, I had to like, all of a sudden rethink that and reinvent and, and I think that, you know, that's part of the flexibility that you have to, you have to let some things go because sometimes you just don't have control over that, you know? And, and so that's when I started to become more comfortable with, okay, you know, like, Hey, selling, you know, my services out, um, to different people on my own and, and helping people in less of a, a formal business capacity, if you will. I mean, it was a business capacity. So, so you were consulting. Yeah. I was doing consulting on my own. But and, business and, consulting, like yeah. similar to what you were doing previously. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were doing that in Venezuela. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. And um, while you had a newborn. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, I mean, don't, oh, yeah, incredible, but don't think, I mean, it wasn't like I was full time doing that. I mean, I was was a full time mom. And then when something would come up and somebody needed something, I would help them or, you know, something like that. So, So how long were you doing that for? So, um, we moved back to the States when my oldest, I have two and he was five when we moved back to the States and my daughter was three at the time. So, um, you know, but, but, um, Venezuela was kind of a interesting experience in terms of, you know, that what was going on that was in, in 2010. And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of, um, turmoil going on there, starting there. Obviously it's just gotten worse, but Mm -hmm. You know, that was as an American watching that, of course, the funny, the funny thing is that when I was moving to Venezuela, one of my friends said, are you sure that you're ready? And I was, I said, I lived in South Africa. Of course I understand what I'm getting into. Yeah. Never say that. (laughs) That's like saying never, I'll never do something. No, you don't know what you're getting into until you're actually in it because life changes and it can change pretty fast. So, um, Yeah. And then uh, we moved back here and actually I started working for somebody who was probably my most resistant to change. And he only worked with me initially because he was told to by his big, big boss, like the one running the the, the whole region mm-hmm. in the Americas. And um, as soon as he started working with me, you know, he told me, I, I, I'm only letting you here because, you know, I, I was told I had to. And I sent him off to do a couple of things. And he's like, you know, told me if this doesn't work, you're going to, you're not going to be here anymore. You know, you're going to be working somewhere else. If Challenge accepted. <laughs> I was pretty nervous. I will tell you, I put my game face on. I gave him my stuff that I needed to, that he needed to do. And he went off to this meeting to get the information. And, you know, I, I started sweating buckets. <laughs> silently. (laughs) And, uh, he, he yelled when he came back in the office and I was like, Oh God, here we go. I got to invent myself again. (laughs) And and then all of a sudden, um, he like tried to like make it into, you know, that I, that I had like really screwed up and, and, you know, damaged the relationship with this client that he was working with. And then all of a sudden he like started laughing and he was like, okay, the truth is the guy said, you're the only one that ever asked me that. And, you got the job. Wow. <laughs> so, so from there on out, like, um, this guy, he actually, um, he was my biggest fan after that. And, um, then I started, I actually, he hired me into the, his next company and, and I worked for him again for uh, the next few years after I moved. Back well, to what Miami. was the role? I was the, um, the global um, business development director for a company out of Spain. And, um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. You know, you just like, you got to take those risks. And I mean, it's not that I don't get nervous with this stuff, but you always, you know, you think about, okay, well, if it doesn't work, I just, I have to try somewhere else. You know, I try it again. So, you know, I screw up, whatever, just go on. I mean, everybody's going to screw up. Nobody's got a perfect life. 100%. Yeah. What great advice. (laughs) So I want to get into what happened on a personal level, yeah. um, from your health, you know, journey perspective. Um, and were you doing this job when this all happened? Yeah. So that's a good, a good segue. So I, I wasn't diagnosed when I was doing that job 
um, in out of Spain. But um, I left that that role because um, I felt like it wasn't the place for me at the time. I did what I needed to do and I needed to move on to continue my growth. And even though I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing, so I left that. And, and then I was actually, a friend said, hey, let's go and do some, let's go and take some classes at Miami-Dade College. And I was like, all right, I got nothing else to do and I got to get out of the house. I've got these kids, you know, and I was actually remodeling our house and um, managing all of that. So it was like a perfect way to make some time for me. Yeah. And of course, I think that learning is so important all the time. I just have to keep learning something all the time. It doesn't matter if it like seems relevant to what I'm doing or anything. I just think that it's something that you have to do. Right. And the minute you stop learning, well, that's the minute that you stop growing and that's when you start to age. So I was actually, we were um, doing these classes at um, Dade College and my friends all dropped out and I finished the program and I took them in Spanish because they wanted to take them in Spanish. (laughs) And, And so then they left me there by myself and I finished it. And then at the end of the course, the lady said, yeah, now you're certified in, uh, interior design and decorating and, um, you can, you know, legally work in that space. And I was like, oh, really? I never even thought about that. So, um, yeah. Wait, I started, so the course was in t- interior design. You yeah. had no interest in doing that? Well, actually I did do it for a while. And, um, and then, really? yeah. And then we got into, my husband and I got into, um, investing in properties and, um, and doing some of that stuff. So I used it in, in that capacity. But while I was doing that, I, um, you know, I decided, oh, I haven't been doing my regular health checkups. We didn't really have our insurance settled around. And so I finally got that all sorted out. And I said, I better go and do my checkups because I haven't done them in a while. So I went and um, had my mammogram and in the mammogram, that was in September of 2013. And um, I'm 42 years old at that point. And um, I, um, they said, yeah, we see something on here, but we're gonna we're gonna just watch it. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's you know, that was not scary to me. And then um, I had told my physician, hey, I, I think I need some glasses because I couldn't see very well. I was struggling, and um, and so she gave me you know the name of a doctor, and then um, they did some tests, and the guy told me like something that was very strange, and then I. I that didn't make any sense. And so I called a friend of mine who's an ophthalmologist and he said, you need to go explore something else. Because what happened was the, um, they were doing the pressure test in my eye and they did my right eye. And it was like, like if you ever had those things where they come at you with the air and mm-hmm. the light. And so it's like startling. And then I said, are you going to do the other eye? And they said, oh, we already did it. And I was like, uh-oh, I didn't see anything. So that was when I realized there's something more going on here. Mm -hmm. And I went and um, pursued it a little bit more and more and more. And after a lot of doctor's visits and a lot of tests and a lot of nervous moments, me thinking that I needed a prescription for glasses and I came out with a prescription for radiation to the head because I have an inoperable uh, brain tumor that sits on my optic nerve. It's a actually a very common tumor, but in a very rare place. So, um, they don't know much about it. What do you mean it's a common tumor? Well, it's a tumor that um, it's a pretty, it's the most, like most common really. um, brain tumor that people get, but it's not usually in this place. It's not usually on the optic nerve. So it it actually is sharing the blood source with my optic nerve. So that makes it inoperable. They can't cut through it because they'll cut my, my optic nerve and then that would 
kind of defeat the purpose of, right. of trying to go in there and saving right. that. And so they told me at the time that my only option was to do radiation to the head. And I went in for an appointment to learn about this and understand what was going to go on and, you know, some of the possible side effects and long-term effects and so forth. And I was like in shock, not just because of all the things that could go wrong, but because the doctor just kept saying, don't worry, there's a pill for that. And you can take those pills the rest of your life. And I was like, I don't take pills. Like I don't take that much medicine. You know, I might take a Tylenol here or there when I have a headache or whatever, but it's very rare. Um, you know, like it just didn't fit in my lifestyle and I couldn't even imagine starting a path at 42 of popping pills every single morning just to keep my, make my brain work right, you know, make my body work right. And so I couldn't understand. They told me that, you know, that my vision loss, which I was, um, it was a significant vision loss. I was um, legally blind in one eye. At that point, they told me that that would never come back and um, that the optic nerve was damaged. It do- it's not a nerve that regenerates itself. So that damage would be permanent. And the best that I could hope for was to maintain one, the little vision that I had at that point and not lose any more. So that's why they wanted to do this radiation to stop the growth of this tumor. Plus the tumor Although it's not cancerous, the tumor growing, they said, you know, over time might cause some other problems as it presses on different things in the brain. Um, and, you know, that didn't sound appealing right. either. Right, right, right. So, um, so I, um, I just was kind of dumbfounded at like this change, you know, like this was not a change that I could embrace. Right. You know, I mean, I, I accepted that something was wrong with me that, you know, that, um, my life had changed significantly, but I couldn't accept that my next change was going to be this person who was reliant on all of these meds to get them through their day. And, you know, to go from super healthy one moment to not healthy in the next moment and, and to, you know, have to manage like secondary effects and all of that. So I said, I can't believe that there's nothing out there that, you know, that there's no, that they don't understand where this came from and that there's, that's the only solution. And so I, I just, you know, I, I also am like kind of a inquisitive, right? So I wanted to go and research this and understand what else might be going on. And I've always been, as I've said in the beginning, I've always been this person that's naturally curious and very focused on health and, and, exercise and energy and and nutrition and things like that. It's always been kind of a theme in my life. And I said, there's got to be something with food that I can do. You know, there's got to, at least to support what I'm going to have to go through. And was that the first thing that you started researching? Yes. Yeah. Like natural, natural ways of um, tumor recession and of, you know, I don't want to say curing because, um, I actually still live with my tumor. It's my, my friend, he's there with me all the time, (laughs) but you know, it is, it's something that I, I just, I, I, it was the first thing I went to, you know, that there has to be something that I'm doing that's perpetuating this. And so my natural instinct was that, that what do I do every day, all day long I eat. And so that's where I went, you know, I went to the food. Um, and how that, so what, that affects the body. What did you research? Also, like, I, I'm curious because this is a huge conversation on 
you know, the immediate being the pill popping and, you know, the, the prescriptions as like the first step from all of, you know, Western doctors, that's the way that it is in this country. And people for the majority just don't even think to go to that step of what is the root cause of why this is happening in the first place. Try to mitigate that as much as you possibly can. And then hopefully your symptoms will subside. Like our bodies were not really, they don't want to have the tumor. The tumor is a byproduct of something that we're doing. Right. Right. But the natural thing for us to do in this country, the way that we've grown up is to just take, take the doctor's word at face value take the prescription and go. I find that I'm a person that definitely always wants to understand the natural. I, I want to understand the root cause. What have I done or what can I do to make it better on a natural way? However, if I was confronted with something at this gravity, a tumor on my eye that can potentially, you know, either make me fully blind or can go into my brain, that is like a whole, a whole other layer of, you know, questioning myself of like, if I go this woo-woo route, am I, am I really like, you know, hurting myself in the long run if I if I listen to that voice and not just go the doctor route because if it was for something smaller then it's easier to go the eastern route or to look at food and look at all those things but you you were confronted with a huge one you know and you still went down this path was there resistance from your doctor well like, I mean you know it's not that I'm saying <clears throat> to go one path or the other I think that they have to go hand in hand right I mean I, to I truly believe in western medicine and modern medicine um, but I also think that you have to be doing everything you can that's not counterproductive to whatever they're trying to help you through. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and so you have to prep your body and remember that, you know, the theme of my life is always meeting you where you are. What's the root cause? What's that? Where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I went immediately to what do I do every day I eat, you know, so like that's something I can control. Um, and that's something that I can evaluate. Um, I and were you thinking of evaluating that solely without the Western medication or radiation or, you know, like, were you just like, I'm going to go down this route only? Well, so what happened was that um, I wanted to put a pause on the other because I just felt like it was coming way too fast. And I needed, I needed to be able to understand a little bit more and do a little bit more research. So, um, but it was going parallel, you know, both were moving in parallel and uh, my research on my own and the, the doctor's plan, because, um, the radiation they have to plan for, it. they have to create, uh, you know, maps of your brain and, and figure out how they're going to get to the tumor and all of this. So there's a lot of studies that have to be done and it, it can, it takes some time. So that bought me some time to do my research and do my interviewing of people that I trusted in that area and, you know, to talk to people, talk to doctors and so forth. And then I, um, you know, I actually was on the phone with the nurse who was giving me my appointment for my, my first actual radiation treatment. I had already done my planning and everything. And it's, you know, they, they had done everything that they needed to do, um, up to that point. And my, my treatment was going to start the next morning. And then I got a call from one of my, um, doctors who I hadn't spoken with in a while saying, you know, maybe, um, you, you want to start with some steroids. Well, um, that the doctors had already told me that that was not an option for me. And um, so I was very confused. I called my main doctor and who was like the guru of this area. So he was like the most well-known um, neuro-ophthalmologist in the world at this point. Um, and um, he said, you know, I don't know why the other doctor would tell you this. So like, let me go back and we'll talk about it. And then 
they, they gave me 30 days at the bottom line. They gave me 30 days to try the steroids. But then I said, at the same time, I'm going to try the food because at the end of the day, the food can only help me. It's not going to hurt me, right? It's not going to hurt me going natural and, you know, eating a balanced diet and eating, um, eating more raw foods mm-hmm. and more vegetables and whole grains and removing processed items and removing chemicals from my diet. That's not going to hurt me. So I'm going to go in the same, in this, in parallel with this. And, um, that's what I did. Um, and in within two weeks I started seeing something and remember they told me that my, my vision loss was permanent. And I was like, Hmm, this is weird. And so they, um, by the end of the month, they sent me for an MRI and the MRI actually showed growth of the tumor. But I said, you know, so they said, you're going to need to do the radiation. And I said, no, but I can see something. And they were like, that's impossible. But sure enough, I went for, you know, all my vision tests and the battery of all of that. And, um, they repeated them several times and nobody could believe that my vision had come back. So it wasn't fully back, but it improved significantly at that point. And when we left after several more conversations with my, my team of doctors, um, when we left, I said, my my husband said to me, are you going to keep going on this diet? Because they said, okay, we can put the radiation on hold because your symptoms seem to be subsiding. And I said, look, you know, if, if this is an effect of the steroids, then at some point that effect's going to wear off. If I go back to my old lifestyle, that effect's going to wear off. And then I'm going to be back where I am today, literally, or where I was literally in the dark, right? Because, you know, I lost my vision. And, um, I said, but I actually feel amazing right now. I haven't felt this good in ever. And, you know, I know that's the food, so I'm going to keep going. You know, the only, the only one, the only people that are suffering by me making this change in my lifestyle, because it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. The only people that are suffering are you all because you don't know how to deal with me, but I feel amazing and I'm going to keep going. Right. I, I actually am enjoying this. So I kept going and feeling great. And, um, remember there was this little diagnosis of we see something in the mammogram from September and they had, um, I said to myself, this was pretty stressful, right? These months, September to, um, January was really stressful. We went on vacation at Christmas and I was like, okay, just need to relax and, and celebrate that I don't have to do radiation to my head and, you know, all of this. I'll go back for my mammogram when I feel a little bit more up to it, but it wasn't like, you know, I have to do that. Right. Well, thankfully um, for me, they made me an appointment and the the center called me and said, you need to come in. We've made this appointment and, you know, we need to recheck that. And I was like, oh my God. Okay, fine. I go in and immediately they say there's a blood source to this mass and this doesn't look good. We need to biopsy it. And I said, biopsy it right now because I'm right here. I'm not leaving and coming back biopsy yet right now. So they did and um, it wasn't good news. Actually, it wasn't horrible news. What they told me was that it was kind of, they call it um, stage zero. It's uh, encapsulated um, mutated cells mm-hmm. and um, it's called ductal carcinoma in situ. And that they sent me to a surgeon. Um, I met with the surgeon. The surgeon said, no, we're just going to take it out and it's going to be fine. It wasn't, I didn't hear anything that this is cancer, right? That they 
told it was a mass. They told me it's not cancer. It could turn into cancer, but we need to take it out. Okay, fine. So I had a lumpectomy and I went back to have my stitches taken out. And um, you never want to be the last person in the doctor's office at the end of the day because um, they're probably going to give you bad news. And so that's what happened. Um, I went in and the doctor said, where's your husband? And I said, well, he's with my kids. I'm just here to get my stitches out. I can drive. It's not a big deal. And he said, well, um, we have a situation. And I said, oh, okay, well, I hope there's a resolution. <laughs> and I love the positive said, thinking. And he said, um, yeah, but I'm not sure that you're going to really enjoy it. And I said, okay, tell me what it is. And he said, you have cancer. We didn't get it out and um, we've got to go back in. So that set you set me off on a whole trajectory of, you know, all the questions around you have breast cancer. What do you what are you gonna do next? How are you gonna treat this? And um anybody who's been through breast cancer can tell you that it's a very individual path because now, you know, from when they first started um treating breast cancer, it was everybody got treated in the same way. But now they know that everybody's tumors are different. And the reason that people have tumors are very different. So you have to go back and understand what's going on. And so that's that's kind of where we um started off. And and um I made the decision after doing a lot of investigation in a short period of time, I made the decision to do a second lumpectomy and um and to go for radiation and not not to do a mastectomy. So we started down that path. And at the same time, I asked the doctor, well, you know, he said, I know that you eat well because I can see it. Mm -hmm. I see what you look like. I see your skin. I know that you're eating really well, but you know, let's talk about that. And so I said, Hey, what about, you know, what about alcohol? No alcohol, no way, because alcohol increases your risk over whatever you have by 40% additional. So, you know, my suggestion is no alcohol. Well, I wasn't really drinking anyways at that mm -hmm. point, so that wasn't a big deal. And he said, definitely no sugar because sugar feeds tumors. And I said, well, again, I'm not eating sugar because I knew that that was one of the things that I eliminated um, trying to eye. deal with my eye. And, um, and then I had been using soy because soy for me at that point in my learning curve was my protein right? You know, where right. you're going to get your protein from if you don't eat meat. And, um, so I was having a lot of soy and he said, given my situation and my parameters don't have soy. Okay. So then I was like, oh my God, where am I going to get my, my protein from? <laughs> what am I going to eat? Right. So, you know, like this is a, you know, an evolution because here I am eating, a, you know, a plant-based diet and I'm still questioning where I'm getting my protein from. Right. So I did a lot, you know, more research and more learning about that. And I realized, hey, every plant has protein, mm -hmm. right? So I'm actually not protein deficient. And, you know, and then if you add heavier protein, like lentils and beans and that type of thing, natural plant products on top of it, well, you know, you're getting more than, than sufficient protein. And, um, so I cut out soy and I went through my treatment. I did my radiation and, um, you know, I don't, I wasn't doing chemo. I didn't have to do chemo thankfully, but, um, that the point is that all my breast cancer treatments were localized. So nothing is affecting the tumor in my brain. And I went for my checkup before they were going to put me on a long-term drug treatment to um, keep the cancer, you know, Happy. at bay. And um, I went for my, my MRI and my, um, all my checkups and I had, my tumor had not grown. And um, 
between that moment and a few months later, I recovered um, sight. Not, I'm not even going to say recovered because I never had 20-20 vision before in that eye. And um, I had 20-20 vision for the first time in my life. And um, I called one of my doctors who is actually a friend of ours. And I said, hey, um, do you think that it's the food? And he said, um, no, I don't think it's the food. He said, I know it's the food because in medical terms, there is no way that what happened to you could happen. We've never seen that before. And so, you know, like the doctor told me, you know, and then I went back to my main doctor and I said, hey, you know, why do you think this happened? He said, I don't know, but whatever you're doing, keep going. And so here I am, you know, have almost eight years later. Over my body. <laughs> and then for the breast cancer, how did that, like at what point did that completely go away? Okay, so, um, you know, um, breast cancer and cancer never completely goes away. You live with it forever. Um, and you may be, um, you may be clear of no evidence of disease, but, um, cancer changes your life and it's always with you. So, um, you know, don't ever think that, that it's over. It's not over. You, you keep moving forward and protecting your body in every way possible from any kind of recurrence or, you know, another, another instance of cancer. But do you mean um, that it's like literally in you? No, I don't have any evidence of disease, but, um, you know, cancer changes the way that you are. It changes you, you know, you, you look at the world differently. So what um, do you see now that you didn't see, you know, how, how fragile life is, how fast it can change. I mean, that sounds funny coming from somebody who lived on the edge of change for mm-hmm. her entire life. But, you know, I think that, that cancer just pushes you even closer and, you know, you really see like, Hey, this could end at any moment. And, you know, do, does that mean that I live my life perfectly now? Oh my God, absolutely not. And if you ask my kids, well, they will tell you <laughs> totally not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that, I think that what it does is it opens your eyes to, um, your power, especially in my case, like the, I, I fixed something and, um, and then people started hearing about it and started asking me, can you help me? You know, can you help me? They told me I should eat better. They told me I should eat more vegetables. Can you help me? So I started helping people and, you know, this is how it evolved to where I am today. This evolved to, I'm helping people and, but Hey, you know, I know what I know, but I think that I need to validate what I think I know. And I looked for a certification, um, or, you know, some educational opportunities and, you know, it's, it's not really a big, there's not a lot of learning opportunities out there to learn about how to eat properly and the science behind why eating plant-based works. And, um, so I, I went to the corn, there's a center at Cornell and I did a certification in plant-based nutrition and, um, and yeah, from there, you know, that's how not your mama's vegetables were okay. born. <laughs> First of all, your story is just so powerful. It really, really is. You are clearly an advocate for yourself and you just don't take things like as they come, you just question everything. I think that's such a good takeaway for everyone. You have to be your own advocate and you have to ask questions. You have to see if there's another way and get to root causes. Because I feel like a lot of times, like we were saying before, it's a bandaid fix or something that's trying to fix the immediate, but going deeper and understanding why, or like how you can do something yourself to help on a day to day in a natural way will help set you up for long-term success versus just bringing you back to where you were originally. 
So thank you so much for sharing that story. It is just honestly mind blowing. I've heard it before and I literally every time I'm just mind blown. I've read it. I've heard you say it. I've heard it. Like I, I've, it's just a story I can hear a million times over. So I hope that those listening are just as shocked as I am. I feel like from what you told me from your previous career, there are definitely things that helped you set you up on how to consult other people and what you're doing now, just in a different industry. So, um, I'm curious, you got your certification from Cornell and then what did you envision for yourself? Like what, what was your mission behind, you know, how did you come up with the name? Like what, what did well, the you name envision was a for joke, yourself? Actually, the name was a joke because you know, it was, um, you know, we'd be eating something and I'd, and I would like say, well, the, those are not your mama's vegetables. <laughs> you know, like somebody would be eating the wrong thing at the table. And I'm like, um, those are not your mama's vegetables. And it just kind of stuck. And, I love it. Um, and people responded to it. And, and I, you know, it's fun to work with that name. You know, I think it's fun. And, and you know, I, you have to have humor in your life too. So totally. um, I, I found that humorous and I call myself the chief onion. Um, <laughs> and my daughter says that it's because I have lots of layers and... Um, I can sometimes be sweet and sometimes I can be, um, I can make people cry. So. Oh my God. <laughs> That's what she tells Your us. daughter's spot on. That's pretty incredible. So, um, so how did you get started? Like, how did you start finding your first clients? How did you start structuring it? Well, it I was feel word like the of mouth, is, yeah. you know, like it was word of mouth that people started coming to me and then asking me like, how do I, how did you do this? How do you eat? What, what do you eat? And, you know, they just couldn't even imagine like what, I ate throughout the day. So it started with that. Like, was it coming from people that were like sick and were trying to fix some, a specific like illness or was it people that were just trying to eat healthier? Mostly, you know, mostly people are, um, are wanting to change because they are afraid of something. And so either they are sick themselves, they may or may not tell you, or they are watching somebody else go through a traumatic illness. And, um, most likely it's, you know, somebody, a loved one that's a relative. So, you know, they, they see that and they'll say, oh, this runs in my family. Well, I hate to tell you guys, it doesn't really run in your family. Most stuff, you know, a lot of stuff that we suffer from as a, as a population, we do it to ourselves. It's lifestyle choices. So, um, you know, when you, do you actually know what percent that is, um, it's out of the chronic diseases. Um, it, I mean, it's hard I'm not going to tell you that it's, you know, 90% or anything like that, because there are so many factors that go into it. However, the key underlying, underlying factor of almost every chronic disease is your weight and processed food and eating the wrong things. And now that you've been through my course, you know how all that affects what's going on in your body, right? So I can tell you with breast cancer, for example, I was angry when I was diagnosed because I thought I had taken that care has of myself. To be so frustrating. And I thought I had taken care of myself my whole life. You know, I ate pretty well. I thought um, nothing compared to what I eat now. Yeah. But um, you know, I didn't. I didn't go to McDonald's every night. I didn't. You know, I I would eat a salad, and you know, I didn't think I was like doing any kind of major damage. Yeah. Um, and I haven't eaten red meat since I was in my early twenties. So, um, you know, I was like. I, and I exercise. So like, yeah. I, I don't smoke and you know, whatever. But, um, when I was, when I like hit me, it hit me that I was angry. I was sitting in a nurse's office and she said, you know, don't be angry because 
It's only about five to 10% of breast cancers, for example, that are hereditary. Mine is not hereditary. And um, that, you know, there's maybe another 10% or so that have to do with, you know, some environmental factor. And then the rest is kind of a crapshoot. So, you know, you taking care of your body, she, I've told you this before, Sophie, but you know, this is a marathon that we're, that we're in, you know, this is not a sprint. Our life is not a sprint. So you have to take care of your body from the beginning all the way through to the end, because we don't know where we go from here. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like the next life, are you going to need something that you're learning here? Who knows? You know, I mean, but I'm not going to go unprepared. You know, <laughs> so. Julie's ready for her next life. Like she is ready for the next 10 lives. <laughs> but, um, funny. but you know, I mean the, the bottom line is that what she told me really resonated with me. And I tell, this is one of my big messages is that, you know, you are not eating healthy to avoid disease you are not living a healthy life to necessarily avoid disease because sometimes disease is not avoidable. There are so many things that we can't control that affect us. But if you control the what the part that you can, great. But when you do eat healthy, live a healthy life, sleep well, hydrate, manage stress, um, you know, exercise, and and all of those things in combination, you're preparing your body to fight the good fight because eventually something can happen to you. And if you're trained like a marathon runner is not going to go to the start of the Boston marathon and just run, you know, they're going to train for a long time. And, you know, if you train for a long time, like, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be all your life. If you're just learning that, oh my God, I might be doing something that I could improve on. That's okay. Your body will recover. Your body can change. But you know, the, the longer that you train for, the better you're going to perform in that race for your life when something, some eventuality does happen. And, you know, I think that that's like the key, the key thing that people don't really think about, you know, they think about, oh, well, uh, you know, if something happens, there's medicine and they'll just give me that. Well, you know, I don't want to have diabetes and, you know, possibly end up having my foot amputated or, you know, have cancer and need to have, you know, my, my half of my jaw removed or, you know, any of these things that if I can help to prevent that, I want to do everything in my power to help to prevent it. And then if it does happen to me, I want everything in my power to be there to get me through to the other side. To support you. Yeah. And I mean, not just the support, but that I want my body trained right. to resist and get through all of the treatment that's necessary to come out on the other side. Right. Cause I'm not done 100%. here. <laughs> I'm not done No, here. clearly you're not even close <laughs> to being done. Um, I'm curious for the listener that like may want to work with you. Um, can you explain what your course was when you started to do it and how it's evolved, what it is today? Yeah. So, I mean, it was really just kind of like, you know, it's a lot of, okay, this is kind of what I, I eat throughout the day and this is how it works. And, you know, these are some recipes that was what it used to be. And it, um, it has totally evolved, um, especially with all the learning that I do. I mean, I'm, I learn every day. In fact, I'm doing a new certification, which I'm going to share with you in a few minutes. Oh. I'm almost done. Um, but you know, it, my course is now evolved to teaching people. It's, I'm not about cooking. I mean, I want you to learn how to cook and I'm going to help you with recipes that are easy and I'm going to help you walk you through those types of things. But, and I do offer cooking classes for my clients, but 
I'm not about like just teaching you how to make a plant-based recipe. I want you to understand what's going on in your body. Mm -hmm. So my courses are all about that deep learning, like literally deep, what's going on in your gut, what's going on when you swallow some food and how your body reacts, what's going on with your liver, what's going on with your pancreas, what's going on with your blood, you know, and, and your insulin and your hormone levels and all of that. And so you start to understand and be educated around how food actually impacts your body and your systems and chronic disease. And that way, when somebody challenges you, hey, what? You only eat plants? Where are you going to get your protein from? Or, oh my God, that's not the right way to eat. And then, you know, you, you will know, you'll feel comfortable with why you're making the choices that you are, you know? And, um, I also don't, I don't only work with people who want to be plant-based. Um, I work with people who want to improve their health and their lives. Um, and you know, I think that's an important distinction to make, even though it's called not your mama's vegetables, because everyone needs a large quantity of vegetables in their life. Yeah. And I just want people to eat more veggies. So I will say like McGuire and I are not vegan or vegetarian and she helped us a ton um, just to introduce more into our plate, which again, from the beginning of the episode, it was the most shocking thing for me that you were like, you guys aren't eating enough. I was like, what? But yeah, you're spot on. And it doesn't just for anyone listening, like McGuire and I are not vegetarian or vegan, but she helped us a ton. And it was so incredible. I would love for you to quickly give the high level on the firefighter analogy because I've told my whole family about it. And I, it really resonated with me. Like even like right now, uh, if you guys can't tell, I've like been coughing this whole time. I'm a little bit sick. I feel like my body's like set up and my firemen are like ready to like fire off and, you know, get me better. Um, I just feel healthier overall, but the fireman or firefighter analogy really, really like it's, it struck a chord. So yeah. if you can, if you can explain that. Yeah. So, you know, the basic is that, that when you are, you know, doing what you need to do in your body, you are, um, or let me start the other way. If you're not doing what you need to do, you're setting off little fires throughout your body. Like there's little trouble starting to build in different parts of your body. And you have to think of your body as like, um, an ecosystem in a, in a city and everybody's got, um, there's, there's going to be something that goes wrong. So your body has its own firemen built in. And, you know, the objective is that you treat your body as good as you possibly can, as well as you possibly can, so that those firemen stay well rested in their house. Because if you are constantly creating inflammation in your body and the firemen get triggered to go out and, you know, rescue a cat out of the tree or, you know, pick up a shoe that fell in the sewer or, you know, whatever little tiny annoying type of, of things that they're happy to do. But, you know, over time it takes them out of the firehouse and it, it makes them use their energy and, and their focus is not on keeping the five alarm fire, you know, being ready for that five alarm fire, which could happen. So, you know, when, when you are working in, when you're thinking about it in your body, you know, you're, you're, um, you want to keep those firefighters, which are internal to your body resting until there is something that really needs their attention. Because if they're spread out all over your body, which happens with systemic inflammation, then they're not prepared. They're not even in the firehouse when the bell comes, you know, when the call comes saying, Hey, you know, something major is happening all hands on deck, get to this location. They can't, they're either worn out or they're busy doing something that they don't really need to be doing because we could have done something better 
in the beginning. Right. So powerful. It really, really resonated with me. And I hope that whoever's listening, it also <laughs> feels the impact of that. It's just so strong. Um, for people listening also, what are three takeaways from this conversation that if, if everyone listening can do these three things, you would feel really happy with that? Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, people don't put enough um, thought into what they're eating. And so if there's one thing that you have to really think about, read your labels and cut out added processed sugars. I mean, I cut out sugars of all kinds, except for what comes naturally in their packaging. But, um, you know, be attentive to what you are putting in your body. And um, as soon as you start reading labels, and I think Sophie, you learned this. um, It was shocking, you guys, like oat milk, watch out. They'll come for you and they'll lie to you because I was really, I I came to one of the sessions with Julie and I was like, Julie, are they lying to me? Because like on one side of the label, it's saying this on the other side, it's like very confusing. And long story short, there was added sugar in there and they made it very confusing. But yeah, I definitely learned a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, processed food, those are companies. Food comes from farmers. So takeaway, you know, food comes from farmers and, you know, they come in naturally packaged, beautiful little fruits and vegetables and whole grains and um, they're delicious and don't be afraid of them, you know? So that's number one. But also I think the power of sleep, people totally misjudge how much sleep they need and why it's important. You know, if your body is not able to rest, there are so many functions that happen while we are in a deep sleep and a, and a resting state that they don't happen when we are running our motors throughout the day. And so if you don't give your body a chance to replenish, yeah, sure, you can run for a while, but eventually you're, it's going to take a toll on your body and you may not see that damage starting to happen until it's way too late. So, you know, getting enough sleep is um, critical. And then um, stress, you know, stress is, it's a killer and it's a silent killer. So um, we have to really manage stress. Um, I mean, I think all of it works together. But How do you manage stress specifically? Well, that's a good question. And I will say that that, as you know, if I've, to, I've told you in the past that that is the weakest point because it's hard, you know, I mean, there are so many things that create stress for us that are out of our control, you know, like getting the kids out of the house in the morning, they don't want to get up or, um, you know, the traffic and the way that people are around you or, um, you know, just some curveball that gets thrown at you. Those are all stressful things. So, you know, the more that you can kind of try to um, take it as it comes or um, take a deep breath, you have to do a lot of breathing um, exercises and um, something that you've talked about before and that resonates with me as well is a gratitude practice, right? So, you know, every day think about what it is that you're grateful for and keep your mind set on that. Keep it in a prominent place. You know, I, I always tell all my clients like, okay, you know, print out this and put it where you can see it. So it's a a visual reminder. So that goes with your gratitude practice too. And, and, you know, making sure that you are taking those deep breaths through the day, get up from your desk, go outside, pet the dog, look at the plants that you're growing. You know, I started growing herbs and, you know, it was so relaxing very therapeutic. You know, I mean, I, like I never said that I never thought I would say that, but yeah, totally therapeutic. Um, so yeah, those are the three things, you know, um, it, it is about what you put in your body, but it's not just about, um, just, I mean, the food is critical, but you have to pay attention to 
your sleep and your stress too. I totally agree. Sleep is so not something that is like respected as much in the health and wellness space, but it, it, it's everything. It really is. It sets your metabolism up for success, your brain function, yeah. everything. So I'm so glad you said brain function because that's my exciting news. Oh! I am very close, very, very close. I might finish it already uh, <laughs> in the beginning of next week. Um, I'm about to be certified as a brain health um coach and, um, a brain function coach. So what does that mean? Yeah, and so, what is that certification? So, um, this is through a, um, a prominent clinic, um, in, in the U S and actually globally, but, um, it's, it's Amen clinics and they are, um, very into how food affects your brain, how, um, our micronutrients affect our, our brain and, and, you know, how, the whole system affects what, what we're, how we age, ADHD, Alzheimer's, um, you know, brain trauma, how that affects you going forward and how you can recover from these things. So, you know, it's about blood flow and, um, and making sure that that all is, um, is working as efficiently as possible. So you're doing everything as efficiently as you possibly can. Um, I love this. I, I feel like this is like for a lot of active ingredient listeners are probably going to be so into this. I'm always about like figuring out how to hack, you know, anything with my mind, how I can increase focus. I'm huge into adaptogens. Um, I don't know if that's like part of your course, but like I, I lion's mane is something that when we were working together, I was like, I literally have this every single day. I put it in my oats, which we're going to get to. <laughs> um, but brain function is absolutely massive. And actually I'm curious, and I think I asked you this in one of our sessions, but a big question that, that comes up with plant-based diets is omega-3 and the importance for your brain function. Um, and a lot of misconception thinking that people are not getting enough omega-3s in our diets, whether it be because of the way things are farmed here in the U S or just because you're not eating fish or you're not eating certain things. Um, what's your take on, on eating a plant-based diet and also having sufficient levels of omega-3 and all the nutrients that you need for brain health? Well, I mean, you're going to, you know, first of all, uh, Sophie, you know this, but for your listeners, I, um, you know, I truly believe that you need to get your nutrition, all your, your nutrients, your micronutrients, your macros, everything from, from real food. So not, you know, not processed food. And, and not, not supplements, from a, not from a pill, um, you know, but I also am very cognizant that that is hard in today's world. Right. So, you know, I don't tell somebody that's just changing their diet. Oh, cut out taking supplements. No, you should be taking a multivitamin. You should be taking your, you know, your B12, you should be taking, um, your D3 and, you know, and then, and then if you, you know, fish oil, if you want, if you're not going totally vegan and, and then a, a plant-based supplement for the omegas, if you, if you are, but, you know, as you grow in your practice of, of eating healthy, whether that means totally plant-based whole food, plant-based, which is what I am, or, you know, if you're vegetarian or vegan or, or just eating more veggies, you know, then you can evaluate as you grow. Like, should you continue? Do you need to continue to supplement? And if you want to continue to supplement, well, that's totally what you need to do. Like, that's your choice. You know, you need to make the decision that's right for you because you need to believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I encourage people to not have false hope that taking a handful of pills three times a day is going to be your salvation. It's not the road to good nutrition. It's not the road to keeping your body healthy. The road to keeping your body healthy requires you actually eating actual food mm -hmm. and 
eating it in the right proportions. So that's going to keep your body healthy, but it's also going to keep your brain healthy. And the two are actually very, very closely connected, which is why I went for the certification because it's um, so important. You know, now we, we know in, in recent years that there's, been way more science developed around this idea that we have a second brain, right? The little brain, and it runs the length of our digestive tract. And where they used to believe that your big brain in your head was the one controlling what your little brain was doing. Now we're finding it's the other way around. So your little brain is the one that's sending signals to your big brain and affecting your overall health. So what affects your little brain? It's what you eat. And you can't be healthy if you're not eating vegetables. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. You can't be healthy if you're not eating vegetables. And you've got to, you know, you can you can change certain things in the short term. Like, you know, you can lose weight. That's all fine and dandy. But if you don't know the damage that you may be causing internally or the, the strain that you're putting on your system internally, that could trigger that five alarm fire, you, your firemen are out of their, out of yeah. their firehouse and they're out running around, putting out little tiny annoying fires. And meanwhile, the big one is coming and, um, they're going to be too tired to fight it off. Right. So that's the idea. Like, you know, keep your, keep your firemen in their, in their firehouse yeah. by feeding yourself the right way and taking care of your body the way that it needs to be taken care of. I want to give one tip to the audience that really helped me. Well, there's two. We're going to get into the overnight oats, but this one first, because on the topic of veggies specifically, um, something that McGuire and I have been doing in practice all the time that you taught us is when you are plating your plate before you put your grains or you put your fats or anything, put your vegetables first. It's something psychological. When you're seeing the plate filled already with the veggies, you are less inclined to put more of the grain or more of the carb or whatever, the other things that you're going to be having for dinner. Plate the greens first. It's just, it really has helped me a ton. And I feel like it's helped me, you know, I don't know if I'm reaching my exact veggie count that I should be having, but it's it's just helped a ton and doing it consistently has now made it like second nature. Yeah, so that is, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> That's like my objective is that, you know, that's a habit, right? That you yeah. formed over your whole lifetime of what you put on your plate first. And now you're telling me that you are, you've changed it. You, you have made a Not positive. Not every single time, but majority, majority yeah. of the time. Yeah. But you have been, you've made a significant, it, your brain is recognizing when you're doing it right. And when you maybe aren't doing it right. Yeah. So, um, that is huge. You know, that's yeah. like that it, you're, you're now on the other side. On the other side, yeah, of I gotta, that, I that gotta hill. keep, I gotta keep the consistency going. But yeah. um, I just wanted to share that with the audience because I feel like that actually really, really helped. Um, yeah, because we eat backwards. We eat backwards. So you are eating. I definitely was eating yeah, backwards. You totally eat, and that's and that's why we get into these calorie restrictions when we quote unquote diet because you're eating super high calorie uh, dense foods yeah. and you're not eating enough of the fibrous, low calorie dense foods, which are vegetables, mm -hmm. right? And um, and you need those vegetables for all the micronutrients that keep your body healthy. And so, you know, when you overeat one thing, it's a, it's a plate, it's a circle. You're, mm -hmm. When you overeat one thing, you're gonna undereat the other. And that means you're gonna over consume calories, under consume nutrition. 
And I'm not saying that you can't get nutrition from some of the other things, but in proportion, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, you want all those bright colors on your plate. And when you make that one simple switch. It's the the most simple switch. It really is. But once you get that, man, it really changes you. It changes it. It changes the game. So guys, plate the veggies first. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I, we are a little over time. If that's, are you, are you good with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Cause I, there was just no way in hell I could do this podcast without talking about overnight oats. Okay. So people that are listening, I have been posting, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, Julie, actually. Yeah, I but, do, but I don't think, I, I, I don't know if you I see my stories. I literally post my overnight oats every single day. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure out of everything that I've posted ever since like I started Instagram, this is the thing that has just started something that I did not expect. I have, and I hope that you're cool with this, but I have literally given the overnight oats recipe to, I swear, probably over 70 people at this point, <laughs> people message me all the time. It has changed their life. Like it is the best thing ever. So for context on why I'm even doing overnight oats in the first place. When I first met Julie, she asked what my goal was with working with her. And I have been having a acne issue for a very long time and I'm trying to regulate my blood sugar. And I, I, I had an issue in the middle of the pandemic with testosterone levels and just a lot of things that could be triggered by your sugar intake. And, um, I was like, I I really just want to have a good handle on my blood sugar because I, first of all, snack a ton at the end of the day and second, or I guess the other way around first, my acne second that I snack a ton at the end of the day. And I always need like a chocolate or something at the end of the day as a nightcap. So blood sugar was my objective. And she was like, what are you having for breakfast? That was first question number one. And I was like, honestly, I don't even remember what I think I was having smoothies. I was having green smoothies and like eggs and avocado toast sometimes. And just like a little bit of Uh, of everything, but smoothies, I think was my number one thing at the time. And she was like, you need to have something that's more fruit or more sweet in the morning to set the tone for the rest of the day. And within a week, what is that not? Well, it, it, you, you actually want to have less sweet, like you want the, the sweetness to come from your fruits, from your fruit, but, um, you want, you, you want something that's filling and that like, you know, sticks to you. And, um, that feels satisfying and that's going to give you, it has tons of complex carbohydrates in it so that it's going to give you energy all through your morning. And but it's going to set factor you also. Well, yeah, because then you're, you know, you're getting that from um, fruit, right? So these don't have any, any kind of added sugar. So I don't use honey, agave, nothing. You know, I don't use any refined sugars at all. You're going to get those things in, you know, if you eat out in a restaurant, you're going to eventually consume some of those. So the objective is eat as clean as possible when you can control what's going into your food and your plate. Then when you go out, you have to less, you know, you have to stress a little bit less, but, you know, still making smart choices. But um, the, the idea with, eating well in the morning is that you eat like that in the morning and it sets your brain up for that's the way you want to eat throughout your day. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you eat a super sugary cereal or a super sugary meal, you know, with maple syrup or whatever in the morning, um, it kind of sets your brain up. Sugar is addictive, right? There's, it it (laughs) triggers an, an addiction type response in your brain. It's a mm-hmm. chemical response in your brain it has nothing to do with the nutrition of honey or agave or molasses or maple syrup or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that it, it, it affects your, um, pleasure center in your brain and it literally 
creates this dopamine rush. And when the rush ends, the body's natural response is, I really liked that. I need more. And it sends you on a frenzy looking for something that's overly sweet. So if you eat your sweets with your fiber in the morning and um, meaning sweet in terms of your fruit and getting that in the morning, it's going to satisfy you, but it's not going to trigger that that chemical response in your brain that would drive you for the rest of the day. It's also giving you complex carbohydrates. So it slows down the, um, the absorption of the, of the glucose into your system and it gives your body a chance to use that efficiently over the course of the morning. And then it sets you up for wanting to eat properly the rest of the day. So thousand percent. I also go to sleep so excited to have it in the morning and I've been having it every, (laughs) pretty much every day since you gave me the recipe. Um, yeah, people always say, but that's going to get boring. And I'm like, well, we can switch it up, but you tell me when it gets boring and totally like, People they're like you're, they're like you, you know. Oh my god, I'm Die addicted hard. to it. And I never ever <laughs> had oats like growing up. Like I never, it was just not a thing. Like I don't know. And like I've some people are like, but aren't oats boring generally? Like aren't like not that they would get bored of them. They 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 just think that they're boring to start with. And I'm like, try this recipe. <laughs> I'm like I don't know what to tell you. This is literally the best thing ever. Like try it. And then we've converted. Like I I don't even know how many people at this point. It is. like the thing that people have messaged me the most of anything that I've ever posted. So you started an oat revolution and I want to give credit where credit is due. It is not your mama's veggies (laughs) recipe. It is not my recipe. I, the only thing I change in there is that I add, um, I add, what is it? Lion's mane. That's it. Yeah. Well, you can put, you know, if you, if those are the things that you want in there that go for it, go for it as long as it's not, uh, as long as it's not, yeah. As long as I'm not like just throwing like trivia or something in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing. So this podcast, and I feel like we've hit on this several times, um, throughout the conversation is really for the person who might feel stuck that wants to be doing something that they're super passionate about. Like you are, you know, obviously you found this in a very, I I don't want to say in a dark place and you found this light because I genuinely am a believer that every single thing is guiding us to the path that we're supposed to be on. Um, but you did have a hard time that kind of got you to this point. So I'm curious for someone that's listening that really wants that, that really wants to feel that passion, maybe not, not having had gone through something dark that's helping them get there, but just generally is curious and wants to work in something that they're passionate about. Um, what advice would you give to them on how to find it? how to find it. Um, you know, I think that, I think that your passion just eventually speaks to you. You know, I think that, um, you find yourself over time talking about the same thing and, um, whatever that thing happens to be, that is your passion. It's trying to come out, right? So you've got to, you've got to listen to yourself. You know, I always, I teach everybody, like you have to listen to your body, but this is your mind telling you is, you know, are you drawn to a certain type of book? Are you drawn to a certain type of information? Do you, are you, um, are you curious about, um, how something affects something larger than you? Um, you know, those are, those are all signs that those are the things that you're passionate about, I think. And, um, you know, some people are really fortunate and they find it early in life, And, um, they're able to work that their whole life, you know, like athletes and things like that. They find that, you know, whatever that passion is that drives them to do their sport. Um, and then there are others like, you know, that you have to evolve and, um, and learn. And I think that that's what life is about is that you, you you never stop learning. You have to keep learning. You, you have to, 
um, if you stop learning, you are stopping the growth of the regeneration of your brain cells and the growth of your brain and the use of your, your brain. And, um, you know, I mean, who wants that? A hundred percent. And I feel like you hit on something that I want to talk about with you also that I think people do not talk about this enough, which is that you found this calling or this passion in your forties. And people think that once you've hit a certain age that you can't reinvent yourself, you can't start something new, you can't evolve and change and have a different interest. What would you say to someone who's listening who maybe is at a different age bracket that is maybe feeling unfulfilled and wants to do something that they feel really passionate about? Maybe they're empty nesters. Maybe, you know, they're just at a different phase. Like what advice would you give to them to go for it and to not think that you're in this box that you, you're never allowed to evolve from that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope that nobody ever feels like that, but I know that that happens. And I also hope that you understand that making, you know, like making this kind of change and commitment to what I do now. I mean, I'm not, it's not, it, I can't live the same life that I lived before. Right. right? right. I mean, and if I were, if I were doing this as a, um, if I were to tell you that, that doing this was going to make me millions, you know, well, I'm lying to you because maybe eventually, you know, they say follow your passion and eventually the money comes. And I think if you are only focused on making money, you're totally missing out on what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, if you're, if you are just there to make money, that's okay if that's your decision, but at some point money doesn't make you happy. Right. And, um, I think that my, my purpose here is to help people, um, and to change the people, you know, not to change them, but to help them reach their potential and to help them achieve things that they want to achieve, but maybe they didn't feel that it was possible for them. So whether it's how they eat and treat their body or a business issue that, you know, I'm, I help them through or, um, just opening their eyes to a new opportunity. I think that, um, you know, that's, that's what my purpose is. And so that's your active ingredient. Yeah. That, that would be my active ingredient. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> And like back to the topic of starting at different age points, like what advice would you give to people to be fearless in that and that to not be scared about that age? Because again, like this is just something that like people always talk about the 30 under 30 list for Forbes and like, you know, the peak of your career is like your mid thirties or, you know, what yeah. advice would you give to someone that's yeah. like being fed that information all the time? So then it paralyzes people into not actually trying at different phases of life. And I actually think that when you're older, you know yourself so much better and you know what you're good at, you know, your skill sets, like how, how did you step into that? And then just like, I feel like it's natural for you, but what advice would you give to someone to step into that? Well, you know, I think it's, it's funny. You say the 30 under 30 and the 40 under 40 and all of those lists and, and like, I mean, I never got nominated for any of that stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, I graduated with top of my class and, mm -hmm. you know, went to an amazing, um, I did a you know, liberal arts undergrad at a great school and then went to an amazing business school, you know, people like, you know, I mean, that's a hard, Michigan, that's a hard school to get into, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's a hard school to stay, you know, to like get through the program. I cried yeah. a lot. I cried <laughs> a lot, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I think that you have to, we have so much pressure on us every single day and so much that bombards us because of social media that every single day that you've got to reach this pinnacle. Well, guess what? There's only 30 people on that list. Hello. How many people live in this country? Do you, does that mean the rest of us are, you know, no good? 
just because we didn't make the 30 under 30 mm-hmm. list or the 40 under 40, come on, there's only 40 people. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're the only ones that are going to be successful in the world and make a change and, and do something positive. We're all put here to do something positive. You just have to figure out where your positivity is and where that impact is. And I think you have to, I think it's hard for people, younger people now, because you have grown up in, you know, this environment of constant barrage of being compared to everyone else. And, you know, these, the social media and Instagram and, and, you know, Facebook for the rest of us, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, you, you grow up in this like totally unrealistic reality that, you know, this is what somebody's life looks like. No, that's not what somebody's life looks like. You know, that's like from, you know, my age, anybody that's my age watching this and, you know, leave it to Beaver or, you know, June Cleaver, like the joke is that, you know, June Cleaver probably was drinking all day. (laughs) You know, like, no, that wasn't her perfect little life. That wasn't the actual reality of what was going on. Right. That was, you know, we have to separate the marketing from the reality And we have to live the reality and, you know, keep the marketing in check, right? So it's just like going back to the food. It's just like what you see when you see something that says, this is, you know, a panacea, this is healthy for you. This is health food. Their job is to market that to you. You know, their job isn't to tell you all the side effects that could happen. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you eat this and you're not eating actual food, what might happen in your body over the long term? That's not their, their purpose. Their purpose is to make their product look like the best thing out there and to sell more of their product. Well, that's the same thing that happens when you look at these lists of 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 and all of that. You have to celebrate those people. You have to celebrate those people. They are doing amazing things, Yeah. but then turn around and look in the mirror. You're doing something amazing too, you know? And, and like, Sophie, you, this amazes me. Like, how'd you figure this out? You know, like, <laughs> like put a podcast together. I mean, you know, like, like I learn from every, everybody around me and you have to learn to celebrate everyone around you and, and be positive for them. I mean, especially as women, for example, we have to lift each other up because for us, it is hard. You know, we have so many other pressures on us and you're going to see as you, as you age, those pressures just seem to get worse. Even though you start to know yourself better, you know, there still is like, did I miss my career? You know, because I had my kids or, you know, like somebody else that, that I went to business school is doing something incredible. You know, like my friends in business school are all these you know, incredible positions, CEOs and, and heads of huge companies and marketing directors and global everything and blah, blah, blah. Hey, but step back. I changed your life. I might've saved you from a life of disease. I am making a change at the grassroots level every single day. And guess where change actually happens? It happens at the grassroots level. So if you ever get bogged down for your listeners, if you ever get bogged down by this idea that you've got to be on one of these lists, turn around and look at what you're doing every single day and how that affects the community around you, because that's where change happens. Look at politics. Where does change happen in politics? It happens at the grassroots level. And then it goes, it trickles up. It doesn't happen at the national level and trickle down. The, the, 
impetus for change comes from what's going on in our local communities. And so that is kind of the reflection of how I see life. You know, I'm making grassroots changes. Do I miss the idea of, you know, being recognized for something amazing or for what I'm doing? Of course I do. Everybody wants to be recognized. I mean, that's my, that's my language, right? That, you know, I don't, I'm not driven by money. I'm driven by somebody saying, oh my God, you changed my life. Or, oh my God, you're doing something incredible. Or, you know, being recognized for that by somebody that is just out of the blue, I wouldn't have thought of. Um, or being awarded more jobs, you know, clients coming to me and, and wanting to work with me or a company saying, Hey, can you work with me at a corporate level? Yeah, that's, um, that's where it happens. But, you know, I think that going back to like kind of blocking out all of that noise, that's not, they're not the only ones that can change the world. I'm going to change the world. Sophie, you're changing the world. Your listeners are changing the world just by the fact that you're here listening to how did somebody else do it? What did they, what, and you're trying to take something away from somebody else and learn from somebody else. That's how you change yourself. That's how you change the world. Okay. Well, that is the most beautiful note to end on. (laughs) This has just been the most incredible podcast. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Where can people, are you taking clients right now, by the way? Oh, yes. Okay. So how can people find you? How can people work with you? Um, Yeah. Tell us how we can get to you. Yeah. So you can go to my uh, website, nymv.org. You can follow me on Instagram at not your mama's vegetables. So it's um, not your M-O-M-M-A-S vegetables. Um, And you can also find me on Facebook at not your mama's vegetables. So, um, or Send me a, an email, uh, gonymv at gmail.com and, uh, or just look at Sophie's um, <laughs> messages and I, she'll tell you where to find me. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes <laughs> so you guys have a very easy access point. It was a pleasure working with Julie and we're trying to find different ways to work together because I finished her course. She's going to come and help me and McGuire actually figure out how to do preps for our week. Um, I mean, there's so many different ways that I work with clients, you know, private clients or, um, you know, group classes. Um, and you know, now I'm going to be developing, um, kind of an an online longer group coursework that includes more brain work and, and talking more about brain health and how to stay, you know, healthy long-term. But also, you know, when I work with private clients, um, I do, I go, I do like personal chef stuff. So go to your house and help you set up for, a a successful week of healthy eating. And like what she's going to do with us is literally like with our pots and pans and with our seasonings and with the things that we have in our actual home, teach us how to use what we have and then be able to set us up for success for the week, which I think that's the value proposition. Like it's not like you're coming in with your own things that then we're going to have to rely. It's like your teach your, what's the saying that it's like, you don't like bring the water to the horse. You would like teach the horse how to whatever. Well, I teach people how to fish. I don't. Yeah. That one. Fish. Yeah. She, she te- she's going to teach you how to fish. And here's your present and of she, all, your, all the spices that you're going to love. I can't, you guys, she literally showed up. It's like, she showed up. She showed up with some spices in some mason jars, some delicious oats. Is that oats in a, in a chocolate? Is that uh, what it is? Well, those are, um, they're date, um, they're date balls and date they balls. Have, um, they have pecan date oats and, um, some have cocoa, uh, cocoa powder and no sugar of any kind added in there. Other oh just, God, just I the dates. I literally cannot 
wait. And to I know try Sophie this. loves the peanut butter, so some of them have peanut butter in it. <laughs> yeah. And she also, she's so cute. I'm going to take a picture of this because it's just too much. She made a mushroom ceviche and she brought a fork and a little uh, napkin for me to have in the middle of this thing. She wanted me to have a healthy snack. I yeah, can't. Because you have to snack. Because I have to snack. Well, thank you so much. This was absolutely incredible. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Oh, Thanks. thank you for having me. This was amazing too. And I'm so proud of you. Oh, I'm so, so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.